Section twenty two of Round the Sofa by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Half a Lifetime Ago, Part Four. The vehemence with which Susan Dixon threw herself into occupation could not last for ever. Times of languor and remembrance would come times when she recurred with a passionate yearning to bygone days the recollection of which was so vivid and delicious that it seemed as though it were the reality and the present bleak barrenness the dream she smiled anew at the magical sweetness of some touch or tone which in memory she felt and heard and drank the delicious cup of poison although at the very time she knew what the consequences of racking pain would be this time last year thought she we went nutting together this very day last year just such a day as today purple and gold were the lights on the hills the leaves were just turning brown here and there on the sunny slopes the stubble fields looked tawny down in a cleft of yon purple slate rock the beck fell like a silver glancing thread all just as it is to-day and he climbed the slender swaying nut-trees and bent the branches for me to gather or made a passage through the hazel copses from time to time claiming a toll who could have thought he loved me so little who who or as the evening closed in she would allow herself to imagine that she heard his coming step just that she might recall the feeling of exquisite delight which had passed by without the due and passionate relish at the time then she would wonder how she could have had the strength the cruel self-piercing strength to say what she had done to stab herself with that stern resolution of which the scar would remain till her dying day it might have been right but as she sickened she wished she had not instinctively chosen the right how luxurious a life haunted by no stern sense of duty must be and many led this kind of life why could not she oh for one hour again of his sweet company if he came now she would agree to whatever he proposed it was a fever of the mind she passed through it and came out healthy if weak she was capable once more of taking pleasure in following an unseen guide through briar and brake she returned with tenfold affection to her protecting care of willie she acknowledged to herself that he was to be her all in all in life she made him her constant companion for his sake as the real owner of yew nook and she as his steward and guardian she began that course of careful saving and that love of acquisition which afterward gained for her the reputation of being miserly she still thought that he might regain a scanty portion of sense enough to require some simple pleasures and excitement which would cost money and money should not be wanting peggy rather assisted her in the formation of her parsimonious habits than otherwise economy was the order of the district and a certain degree of respectable avarice the characteristic of her age 
only willie was never stinted nor hindered of anything that the two women thought could give him pleasure for want of money there was one gratification which susan felt was needed for the restoration of her mind to its more healthy state after she had passed through the whirling fever when duty was as nothing and anarchy reigned a gratification that somehow was to be her last burst of unreasonableness of which she knew and recognized pain as the sure consequence she must see him once more herself unseen the week before the christmas of this memorable year she went out in the dusk of the early winter evening wrapped close in shawl and cloak she wore her dark shawl under her cloak putting it over her head in lieu of a bonnet for she knew that she might have to wait long in concealment then she tramped over the wet fell path shut in by misty rain for miles and miles till she came to the place where he was lodging a farmhouse in langdale with a steep stony lane leading up to it the lane was entered by a gate out of the main road and by the gate were a few bushes thorns but of them the leaves had fallen and they offered no concealment and old wreck of a yew tree grew among them however and underneath that susan cowered down shrouding her face of which the colour might betray her with a corner of her shawl long did she wait cold and cramped she became too damp and stiff to change her posture readily and after all he might never come but she would wait till daylight if need were and she pulled out a crust with which she had providently supplied herself the rain had ceased a dull still brooding weather had succeeded it was a night to hear distant sounds she heard horses hoofs striking and plashing in the stones and in the pools of the road at her back two horses not well ridden or even guided as she could tell michael hurst and a companion drew near not tipsy but not sober they stopped at the gate to bid each other a maudlin farewell michael stooped forward to catch the latch with the hook of the stick which she carried he dropped the stick and it fell with one end close to susan indeed with the slightest change of posture she could have opened the gate for him he swore a great oath and struck his horse with his closed fist as if that animal had been to blame then he dismounted opened the gate and fumbled about for his stick when he had found it susan had touched the other end his first use of it was to flog his horse well and she had much ado to avoid his kicks and plunges then still swearing he staggered up the lane for it was evident he was not sober enough to remount by daylight susan was back at her daily labours at yew nook when the spring came michael hurst was married to eleanor hebthwaite others too were married and christenings made their firesides merry and glad or they travelled and came back after long years with many wondrous tales more rarely perhaps a dalesman changed his dwelling but to all households more change came than to yew nook there the seasons came round with monotonous sameness 
or if they brought mutation it was of a slow and decaying and depressing kind old peggy died her silent sympathy concealed under much roughness was a loss to susan dixon susan was not yet thirty when this happened but she looked a middle-aged not to say an elderly woman people affirmed that she had never recovered her complexion since that fever a dozen years ago which killed her father and left will dixon an idiot but besides her grey sallowness the lines in her face were strong and deep and hard the movements of her eyeballs were slow and heavy the wrinkles at the corners of her mouth and eyes were planted firm and sure not an ounce of unnecessary flesh was there on her bones every muscle started strongly and ready for use she needed all this bodily strength to a degree that no human creature now peggy was dead knew of for willie had grown up large and strong in body and in general docile enough in mind but every now and then he became first moody and then violent these paroxysms lasted but a day or two and it was susan's anxious care to keep their very existence hidden and unknown it is true that occasional passers-by on that lonely road heard sounds at night of knocking about of furniture blows and cries as of some tearing demon within the solitary farmhouse but these fits of violence usually occurred in the night and whatever had been their consequence susan had tidied and read it up all signs of aught unusual before the morning for above all she dreaded lest some one might find out in what danger and peril she occasionally was and might assume a right to take away her brother from her care the one idea of taking charge of him had deepened and deepened with the years it was graven into her mind as the object for which she lived the sacrifice she had made for this object only made it more precious to her besides she separated the idea of the docile affectionate loutish indolent will and kept it distinct from the terror which the demon that occasionally possessed him inspired her with the one was her flesh and her blood the child of her dead mother the other was some fiend who came to torture and convulse the creature she so loved she believed that she fought her brother's battle in holding down these tearing hands in binding whenever she could those uplifted restless arms prompt and prone to do mischief all the time she subdued him with her cunning or her strength she spoke to him in pitying murmurs or abused the third person the fiendish enemy in no unmeasured tones towards morning the paroxysm was exhausted and he would fall asleep perhaps only to waken with evil and renewed vigour but when he was laid down she would sally out to taste the fresh air and to work off her wild sorrow in cries and mutterings to herself the early labourers saw her gestures at a distance and thought her as crazed as the idiot brother who made the neighbourhood a haunted place but did any chance person call at you nook later on in the day he would find susan dixon cold calm collected her manner curt her wits keen once this fit of violence lasted longer than usual 
susan's strength both of mind and body was nearly worn out she wrestled in prayer that somehow it might end before she too was driven mad or worse might be obliged to give up life's aim and consign willie to a madhouse from that moment of prayer as she afterwards superstitiously thought willie calmed and then he drooped and then he sank and last of all he died in reality from physical exhaustion but he was so gentle and tender as he lay on his dying bed that such strange childlike gleams of returning intelligence came over his face long after the power to make his dull inarticulate sounds had departed that susan was attracted to him by a stronger tie than she had ever felt before it was something to have even an idiot loving her with dumb wistful animal affection something to have any creature looking at her with such beseeching eyes imploring protection from the insidious enemy stealing on and yet she knew that to him death was no enemy but a true friend restoring light and health to his poor clouded mind it was to her that death was an enemy to her the survivor when Willie died, there was no one to love her. Worse doom still, there was no one left on earth for her to love. You now know why no wandering tourist could persuade her to receive him as a lodger, why no tired traveller could melt her heart to afford him rest and refreshment, why long habits of seclusion had given her a moroseness of manner, and how care for the interests of another had rendered her keen and miserly. But there was a third act in the drama of her life. End of section 22